Well, good morning. I want to welcome each and every one of you here this morning. I don't, I don't know about you. I just, I, I like to get together with the body of Christ, and it's not because I like to hear myself preach, uh, and that's, that's not it at all. In fact, uh, if there are some other people that want to preach, just let me know. We'll get you in the rotation, but uh, I'm happy that we get to come together as a body. As I look out into this auditorium this morning, I see people that are longtime uh, members of this congregation, people that have started to come over the last three to five years, last year, six months, people that are visiting from in town, out of town. It's just, it's awesome to be able to come together for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to God this morning. And so as we kind of get rolling this morning, I want you to encourage you to grab your Bibles, turn over to what book are we in? Mark, yes. Hey, you guys are on top of it. Yes, that's what I like to hear. Yes, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 6 of Mark. And the title of the message this morning is, It's Always the Right Time to Do the Right Thing. It's always the right time to do the right thing. And if you're here again this morning, maybe for the first time or visiting, and we look at this passage and think, what in the world? Why are they going through this? What does that have anything to do with anything? It's it's about this religious group back in the day that uh, they're only concerned about kind of what they wanted to see happen on certain days. And it, it might seem very insignificant of a passage but as we've been studying through the life of Jesus, through the Gospel of Mark, we, we've seen how the religious leaders, they're always about wanting to try to kind of dictate what God should or should not do. And so we have Jesus in this scenario, and again, once it, we see them trying to impose upon Jesus what they think should take place. And, and they thought of themselves a lot of times more religious than even God himself in Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh. And if you are here this morning and you find yourself more religious than God, then you probably are in trouble, all right? You're probably heading in a direction that is not a good direction. And this is what I mean. If you have more rules than God, if you have more expectations than God, then you might be in trouble. And it's, it's kind of like how my kids, uh, man, it's, it's crazy. With eight kids, uh, there's a lot of parents going on at my house. It's, that's kind of a kind of nice, not so nice thing because I feel bad for these children that think they have to be their siblings' parents because there's a lot of times in my house that I'm in the room with the, all of the kids or a few of the kids and one sibling says to the other sibling like well you need to do this or this is what you should be doing and I'm standing right there like I'm in the room and, and I what they're doing is okay I'm okay with it in fact just the other day and, and I I'm not trying to throw uh, one of my children under the bus but uh, w- there was there's one of my older children and, he, and they're out playing in the sprinklers and uh, he sticks his head in the sliding glass door which of course I I don't like the sliding glass door, you know, heating, the, cooling the outside, you know. And so he's, he opens the door and he says, you know, so-and-so is out here and they're not in their swim trunks. And I'm just like, it's fine. It's okay, you know. And, and granted, there are many times where I would be like, yeah, you need to get swim trunks on. But it, he'd already run in the sprinkler multiple times. It was okay. It was just water. And so there's many times as Christians that we major in the minors, don't we? 
Meaning, how many times do we get caught up in silly little issues in the church and get all mad and take our ball and go home, right? We, we, we want to be done our way, and there's many times that my children, man, they're harder on their siblings than I am as a parent. Oftentimes, once again, when I'm in the same room with them, and they start to make up their own rules and ex expectations, and they try and impose them on one another. And at times, we can find ourselves as a church doing the very same thing to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about the essential, biblically accurate stands that we need to take at times within the church. I'm not talking about that. Okay, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am talking about is the little nitpicky things that might have to do with maybe the color of the paint or with the fact that someone new is sitting in your chair, your pew, that you always sat in, right? You know, and we, we have this mentality that we have to get after one another, okay? And, and yet these things, don't, they don't have any sort of eternal implications, but these are the things that a lot of times get us bent out of shape. And sometimes we let the smallest things cause us to be far aware, away from where God intended us to be because we get so sidetracked on the things that aren't really major. They're really more minor. And the same thing was taking place back in Jesus' day. And once again, if you find yourself being more religious than Jesus, like the Pharisees were, you might have a false religion. If your holiness and expectations are more grand than God the Father's, then you might be in trouble of adding things to what Scripture actually says. And so in today's passage, the Pharisees, they're upset that Jesus' disciples are picking heads of grain on the Sabbath day. And that Jesus himself is healing on the Sabbath day. And does it seem pretty ridiculous that the Pharisees would get upset about these kind of things? Yes, it is. It is completely ridiculous. But that's what happens when you focus on the rules instead of on the ruler. And so if you're able and willing this morning, will you stand with me as we read from Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. I'm reading from the New International Version, 1980-some uh, edition, through chapter 3, verse 6. Starting in verse, chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went in, into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. 
Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remembered, excuse me, but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we praise your name for the privilege it is to come to spend time reading your word together as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, may you speak boldly into our hearts, into our minds, that we would hear what you would have us to hear this morning. And it's the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there's three S's that I uh, kind of pulled from here, um, <clears throat> and that's one of those things where they could be useful, they could be not useful for you as you take notes, but the f- one of the things that I see is the Sabbath, and, and then I see some silliness in this whole passage of Scripture, but then I also see some seriousness. So the Sabbath, the silliness, and the seriousness, and again, as you look at this Sabbath, for those of you who grew up in the church When you hear one of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, what do you associate that with in your life? For many of us, to keep the Sabbath day holy, we associate that with being where on Sunday? In church, right? Together with the body of Christ, in church service. And and maybe, though, this morning, maybe that's not exactly what the Sabbath is is all about. Is it possible that we don't always get things right when it comes to understanding God's word? It's kind of like the little boy who, uh, he, <coughs> it's a story of this little boy that sat down with his dad to pray. And he folded his hands and he closed his, closed his eyes and, and then he began, he said, Dear Howard, I want to thank you for this day. And of course, the dad, he was a little confused, and so he, after the boy finished praying, he asked his son, did, did you say, dear Howard? He said, the little boy said, well, yes, yeah. Well, why do you think that God's name is Howard? And the little boy said, Howard be thy name? <laughs> well, of course, the father had to correct him and tell him that it's hallowed be thy name. And you see, we can king kind of get confused sometimes when it comes to the things of the Bible. There's another story that I heard that a little boy said, Pastor, I'm going to need you to talk to my mama. Well, why is that? The pastor replied, well, you wouldn't believe what she made me do last Sunday. Well, what was that? She made me clean my room, and I told her that it was the Sabbath day and that I wasn't supposed to work. Well, the pastor replied, just hold on. The the Bible also says to honor your father and mother. Well, the little boy said, I I knew you was going to say that. But the Sabbath day command comes before the honor your father and mother command. So I figure that that's more important. Well, isn't that what we do at times as Christians? We try to bend and twist God's word to allow for us to do things that we want to do or to keep us from having to do things that we don't want to do. And the Pharisees, 
Man, they were experts at this, weren't they? They were referred to as experts of the law, and they would bend and twist and add to the laws in order to have the law say exactly what they wanted them to say. And before we go too much farther, I want us to look a little closer at what the Sabbath was all about. And so as I did a little research, the Hebrew week begins on Sunday. And according to the Jewish faith, faith, the world was created in six days. That's just also what we believe. And the seventh was the last day of of the creation week, which was Saturday, the seventh day. And for this reason, the Jewish week begins the day after Saturday, which is Shabbat. And except for Shabbat, the Hebrew weekdays are named after their order. Rishon literally means first. Shani means second. Shalishi means third, and so on. However, the Hebrew word Shabbat means stopped working or rested. And according to the book of Genesis, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. And and did God need the day to rest because he was tired? No, of course not. In fact, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. See, God didn't stop working because he was tired, but because he knew that we would be, right? God gave us an example as described in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, the point is we can cease from doing what we have been doing during the week, and, and we can find pleasure in that just as God did after the creation week. And so at the end of Exodus chapter 31, verse 17, that says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested, that could easily also be read this way. And on the seventh day, he ceased from his creating and was refreshed by his creation or took great pleasure in it as he saw that it was good. So once again, God rested on the seventh day, not because he needed it, because, but because again, he knew that we would. Was God creative? Yeah. Was God productive? Yeah. But on day seven... He steps back and just enjoys what he has created. See, the problem for many of us in this life is that we don't take the time to step back and enjoy what God has blessed us with. Some of us are so busy that we feel we can't take a day off. How many of you ever said, if there were only more hours in a day? Yeah. Or if there were only more days in... The week, yeah, we think we need more time, right? We just, we need a little bit more time, and and so we never take time off, because we just, we got to get one more thing done. We're always going, and and I'm just as guilty 
And I don't know if it's partly the way I was raised, being a, a farmer's kid, or the fact that, you know, that's part of my personality as, uh, you know, my, my mom was raised that way, my dad was raised that way, I don't know if it's, you know, genetic or, you know, what, whatever that nurture versus nature or whatever, but, you know, I, a lot of times, if, if I don't feel like, like I go out and I accomplish something during the day, I feel like I wasted my day. And my wife, she has to get after me quite a bit and say, hey, just rest. It's okay. You, you don't always have to be doing something. And yet somehow I believe that I'm so important that if I'm not at the function, if, if I'm not right in the middle of it, if I'm not there with what's going on, if I take a rest or if I'm not productive or if there, man, everything's going to fall apart, right? Because I'm just so important. And when I think like that, whose place am I trying to put myself in? God's. That's exactly right. You see, the Sabbath is a gift to us from God that says, the world doesn't depend on you, Charles. You just need to depend on God. You see, again, the gift, the Sabbath is a gift from God to us that says, the world doesn't depend on you. Just depend on God. And so after Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, the early church began to meet together on the first day of the week, Scripture says, which was Sunday, to remember what Jesus did for them on the cross. But they still rested on Saturday. The Sabbath principle doesn't mean come to church service on a Sunday, which that is a great principle, and that principle is found in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that says, you know, don't forsake the meeting together. But that's not the Sabbath principle. The Sabbath principle is to rest, to, to stop, to slow down, to take a break, to breathe and enjoy life. And I don't know about you, but any God that gives me a command that I need to take a break from working one day a week is a God that I want to follow with my life, amen? You know, that's, that's the kind of God I want to follow. And you say, but my work schedule doesn't allow me to rest on Saturday. Well, I don't, I, I don't think the Sabbath principle is specific to just Saturday. I think it could be a Tuesday, or for me, I oftentimes will take Fridays off. But I think the Sabbath principle is a specific to making sure you take a break during the week and enjoy what has God has blessed you with. And so as we look back at the passage this morning, we can't allow ourselves as humans to take what God has gifted us and change it into something that we think it should be. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did with the Sabbath. They took the gift that God gave them and they added to it to the point that it became silliness. And there are two accounts in today's passage that are just plain silliness to me. I use the word silliness because it starts with an S, so hopefully you can remember the Sabbath and then the silliness. But I looked up some synonyms for silliness, and they're words like stupidity. I guess I could have used that one. Stupidity, ridiculousness, childishness, madness. Basically, it just means it makes no sense what's taking place here in these verses. And so read again with me, follow along, chapter 2, 
starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He said to that, he answered, have you never read what David did when he was, when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so last week, the religious leaders were worried about Jesus and his disciples eating and not fasting. And this week, they're concerned that they're taking a little snack on the Sabbath. And I don't know what the deal is, if they're like the food police or what the deal is here. But they're really concerned about what's going on with Jesus' disciple and their eating habits, okay? But as we read this, it does kind of seem like the disciples are stealing from someone else, doesn't it? I mean, why are they taking other people's grain? It doesn't seem quite right that they would take from someone else like this. However, I was kind of shocked as I studied out this passage, and I found in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, I'm sure most of you have Deuteronomy memorized by this point, obviously, right? Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25 says, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. Now, I grew up going out to my grandpa's farm during the harvest time, and there were many times where I would pull heads of grain from the field of our field, and you just take the head and you smash it into your palm, you kind of grind it up, and then you blow the chaff out, and you're left with a few kernels of grain, usually around 6 to 10, because I've dropped some on the ground by that point, you know, and then I toss them in my mouth, and you chew on them, you know, and try not to crack a tooth, and I can't ever remember necessarily that I would ever go into a a neighbor's field, but there were fields that were real close to my grandpa's farm, and if we had gone into their field and picked a head of grain, it would have been no big deal. There were hundreds of thousands of heads of grain in those fields. Now, if I decided I was going to, you know, take our Gleaner F combines that we drove as a kid and fire that up and then just start into this neighbor's field, like, you know, just, just that, that would not have been good, you know. My dad would be like, that's not our field, you know. That's, you know where, where are you going with that type of thing? And my neighbor would have been like, what, what are you guys doing? See, that part wouldn't have been a good thing. You see, we, we as um, neighbors, that we would be okay with taking a little bit here and there. So the question is, were the disciples disobeying or breaking a commandment by grabbing a few heads of grain as they walked through the field? No. Of course not. But the Pharisees, the issue for them was that they were doing this on the Sabbath. They, they had made up these rules on what was considered work or not work on the Sabbath. And, and by picking heads of grain and walking through the field, the disciples were violating the law. You got to be kidding me, right? I mean, that makes no sense. To me, it's just plain silliness. 
but not for the Pharisees. They said that it was unlawful. And Jesus responds by referring to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. And it's a story that tells of David who was starving, trying to get food while evading King Saul, who wanted to kill King or to kill David. And so he sneaks into the tabernacle and convinces the priest to give five loaves of showbread to him, also called the, the bread of the presence. And showbread is 12 loaves of bread that sit on a table in the tabernacle for a week, after which they are eaten by the priests. And according to Mark Skinner's commentary, Jesus implies that the priests did nothing wrong in breaking the strict letter of the law concerning the bread. By remedying David's hunger, the priests sustained the life of a weary traveler and contributed to David's quest to live into his calling as the king anointed to replace Saul. And as I thought through this idea, what came to my mind, and maybe this doesn't work for you, but in my mind, it's kind of like someone uh, that, that's, there's a woman that's in labor, and she needs to get to the hospital as soon as possible, and the husband is taking her there in the car, and he's exceeding the speed limit because he has the baby and his wife's health as his number one priority. You see, see, there's, there's opportunities that take place in our lives. There's things, situations where, you know, we have to set certain things aside. And Skinner's commentary goes on to say, Jesus contends that sometimes certain demands of the law are rightly set aside in favor of pursuing greater values or meeting greater needs, especially when those greater needs promote a person's well-being, and facilitate the arrival of divine blessings. See, the, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they've made up a bunch of extra rules and laws and stipulations. If you read again in verse 27, it says, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In the midst of of these ridiculous accusations, Jesus reinforces a Sabbath principle that it is a gift of get-to in the world, of a get-to in a world of have-tos. And I don't know if you feel like this, but I, I feel a lot of times that we live in a world that's always telling us the next thing that we have to do, the next thing that we have to buy, the next thing that we, we just have to be a part of. And the Sabbath is a gift of here's what you get to do in the world that's always telling you what to do. And uh, at camp, we give out booklets, and a lot of times I just put the rules, camp rules, but some other people are more creative than I am. And so they do the camp get-tos. You get to stay within the boundaries of the campground. You get to only have girls in girls' cabins and boys in boys' cabins. So you, you get to do these type of things, and, and basically... God is saying, here, this is what you get to do. You, you get to rest. God's commands were made for man, not man for God's commands. And the Sabbath day was given for our benefit. But the Pharisees tried to make it something that it wasn't. And it happens again in Mark 3, 1 through 6, where it says, Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. 
Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. In verse 2, they're looking for something to accuse Jesus of. They're, they're looking for that, and there are going to be people in this life that are wanting to see you fail just as they wanted to see Jesus fail. In verse 4, Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? They, they didn't say a word. They, they weren't willing to admit anything. And that didn't sit well with Jesus, did it? In fact, it says that he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And it's so frustrating when, when people, they just, they won't get it. They don't, they won't take the time to really see what's taking place. And I, I think of once again how Jesus must have been feeling when I kind of work with my kids at times where we might go out for ice cream or we might go do some fun, enjoyable thing as a family. And as we're coming home from what we just had a great time doing, they're arguing they're 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 upset and they're they're trying to you know tell on one another i'm just like don't you guys get it we just did something awesome and fun as a family and you guys just won't just enjoy being okay with what's going on and again these emotions of anger and feeling deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts why won't they just get it and i wonder how many times jesus is saying that to us why won't they just get it and yet Jesus showed us that no matter what, it's always the right time to do the right thing. It's always the right time to do the right thing, no matter the outcome. Jesus knew that healing this man, even if it was on the Sabbath, was the right thing to do. Even in the midst of the silliness of these circumstances, these were a, there, these, there were some serious things that were taking place that I don't want you to miss. And so there's this seriousness do you see it in this passage? Jesus was serious about the fact that he was willing to stand up for what was right, even if it wasn't popular, even if it led to people wanting to kill him. You, you see that in verse 6, that they, they go out and they begin to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And too many times we, we just go along with the crowd, don't we? Because we don't want to make waves and, and we, we don't want someone else to be uncomfortable or for us to be uncomfortable. And guess what? If you're going to truly follow Jesus, there are going to be times when you will make waves and it's going to be very uncomfortable. But it's the right thing to do. And if it is the right thing to do, then it's the right time to do it. And the second serious thing that I want us to see is if we aren't careful, we can live our lives in a way that we never slow down enough to acknowledge the creator or be willing to be a vessel used by the creator. See, there's some seriousness going on in this passage, and some of you might need to look at your calendar over at your calendar over at home and get a Sabbath habit in your life in order to remind yourself that you rely on God and not on your own strength. 
See, we need to slow down and take the time to enjoy what God has so richly blessed us with. Find a, a time throughout the week where you just slow down. And for some of you, that might be today. Today might be that day. You're, you're not sweating up here as much as I am. You're sweating out there as much as I am up here. And, and so maybe Sundays are your Sabbath day. And that's great. But the main thing is, don't miss out on the wonderful gift that God is giving you through the Sabbath day. And over the past several weeks, we've seen how Jesus wants to get into the middle of our homes. He wants to get into the middle of our meal times. And he wants to get into the middle of your calendar schedule. And my hope is, and my prayer is, is that you see how important it is when you let God into the, all the different areas of our lives, how much better our lives are. And so are you truly following the servant? And in a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And, and maybe you're only trying to depend on yourself. Everyone else around you has always let you down. You think that it's all up to you. But I would pray that the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart this morning. And that he's telling you to stop depending just on yourself and surrender your life over to Jesus. And if you know that it's the right thing to do in your life to surrender over to Jesus this morning, then today is the right time to do that. If you need to be baptized into Christ this morning, will you come as we sing our song of invitation? Will you stand with us this morning? If you have a decision to make, if you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ, never been baptized into Christ, we'd invite you to come as we sing.